Good evening, film fans. This is the Second Day Film Podcast, the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Wednesday, November 7th, 2018, and it is getting cold outside here in West Michigan. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, the founder of the Second Day Film Club, and while my usual co-host, Evan Dean, is not making his long-awaited return to the pod today, we've got something much better. Yes, the pod is about to get a whole lot classier. We're upgrading. (laughs) And I'm very excited to be joined today by the first official guest of the SDFP, Miss Sasha Zadar. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm great. Sasha is a reporter by day doing uh, fun stuff and creating lots of cool content. Uh, But what I've learned is that you also have a huge interest in movies, correct? Yeah, I'm a movie junkie. Okay. What is it it about movies that you're usually into? What kind of movies are you usually into? always say I was born in the wrong decade because I really like 80s and 90s movies and I'm 95 baby so like I grew up watching like the labyrinth with like David Bowie and then like the Goonies and I love Tom Hanks and the burbs and so I kind of like always been a movie junkie and then after every movie I analyzed it I did like a character analysis <laughs> like even since I was a kid so I've always been all about the movies so, yeah. Well, it sounds like you're perfect for the Second Day Film Podcast, then, because that's what we love to do here <laughs> on the SDFP, is nerd out and overanalyze the crap out <laughs> of every movie. Goonie's also a personal uh, favorite of mine, of course. Uh, well, today on the show, both Sasha and I will be sharing our thoughts on some of the things we've been watching, uh, and that will lead up to our featured review today, which is First Man, uh, the Neil Armstrong biopic starring Ryan Gosling and directed by the incredibly talented young director, Damien Chazelle. Uh, but before we get to any of that, I want to tell you a few ways where you can get in touch with us. Uh, as I've said many times now, we are the Second Day Film Podcast. You can find us by searching on Facebook, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, we're on Twitter at Second Day Film. It's all written out. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. Uh, give us a rating, a like, a review on Facebook. Tell your friends to do it. Uh, would be really helpful as we continue to try and grow the podcast here uh, on number 23, Michael Jordan, LeBron James podcast today hey. uh, uh, <laughs> in early November. So without any further ado, let's get to the movies. Sasha, what have you been watching lately? So I just seen Halloween um, with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis making an appearance uh, after decades later, actually like 40 years later. How long is it? Something like that? I don't know. Long Very time. long time. <laughs> and then um, I've been obsessing over season two of Making a Murder. Um, all about Steve Avery and that whole mystery, crime, and all that fun stuff. So. Cool. Tell us about Making a Murder, because I know that's a show that a lot of people have been watching yeah. on Netflix. So if you haven't seen season one, basically the Stephen Avery situation is that he was accused of killing 25-year-old photographer Teresa Halbach, or I think that's how you say her last name. And uh, her body basically turned up in like the Avery's like uh, junkyard or whatever, which is like a massive junkyard in Wisconsin. Um, and my personal opinion, I feel like they, that family was just kind of targeted because, like, they don't look like the brightest bunch. I'm sorry. But, like, you know, they kind of, like, it just looked really set up. But anyway, so that was kind of like season one, picking apart Stephen Avery, innocent, after 18 years in prison. Season two, without spoiling anything, it's kind of like the, I don't know who exactly produces it. I don't know their names or whatever. But the creators of the Netflix show, uh, Making a Murder, they kind of came back with like a clap back at like critics and like basically the officials of Wisconsin and who handled the case and were like listen we're gonna bring real facts we're gonna break it down the case and that's kind of what season two is all about and it's really good cool so yeah directed by Lori Laura Riccardi and Maura Demos and yes I did just have to google that Uh, (laughs) I know I couldn't think on the top of my head but I don't blame you those aren't exactly the easiest names in the world um, so yeah, Making a Murder, I remember when this came out, the first season, mm-hmm. everybody was talking about it. It was one of those Netflix shows that like, it became a big thing, yeah. and everyone on social media was talking about it, so of course, I had to watch it. I remember me and my fiance spent like two days just binge watching <laughs> yeah. uh, the first season. 
I liked it quite a bit. I'm glad you mentioned the junkyard because I feel like some of the most effective and powerful shots within that show mm-hmm. are sort of some of the helicopter yeah, shots of the junkyard yeah. that sort of like give you a sense of like that something could really go down here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously really debated whose side you fall on, yeah. you know, with the, I would say the directors definitely take the side of the Averys oh, yeah. uh, to, to a certain extent. I liked the first season. The story is definitely fascinating in the mm-hmm. whole debate. I thought it, it dragged a little bit with the oh, yeah, courtroom scenes. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. it's literally just like an entire trial uncut. No, literally. And that, and that's kind of like the argument in the second season. It's kind of like the Wisconsin officials, they kind of, this doesn't really ruin anything, but they kind of recap it and they're just like, it's just like, like, uh, like a, clips of all these officials saying they didn't get all the facts they're just it's very one-sided which i kind of agree because it's like it does feel kind of very one-sided and they do take a side but i feel like they kind of like showed on bias in season two and they're really like picking it apart <laughs> yeah well I, that that was my biggest question question when i saw that they were coming out with this second series mm-hmm. was it seemed like they kind of covered it in the first one so yeah. I, I was actually surprised to see that they came in and, and it was also filmed over the course of like 10 years, the yeah. first first series. Yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden here, just like two years later, they're coming out with a whole new 10 episodes. How do they fill all the time? I know, because that's what I was saying. I was like, what more could they possibly talk about? Because I feel like they were just beating a dead horse towards the end. Because it's like, you're running out of content. Like, it's just, you're reiterating the entire situation. We get it. You think he's innocent, but like, and then his nephew, uh, Brendan, um, I don't know, Desi. Or Brendan Desi. 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 He, he just yeah. wants to get home in time for WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, seriously, like, he's like a whole nother breed. I just think he's kind of like, maybe like high, or, or not high. <laughs> he, might high. Be. he might be. <laughs> he might be high. No, but like, I don't know. I feel like that poor kid has something wrong with him, and they kind of like really cornered him and made him think that he actually did something wrong. Yeah. I don't know. But that's how they portray it. So it's like the power of media. How, how do you actually, you know, make a you know, logical, like, decision besides, like, looking up all the facts. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I make fun of them about the WrestleMania comment, but that actually is, like, one <laughs> like of the scenes. Desire. Yeah, well, yeah, but, I mean, like, in the first one, you know, it does sort of, like, this kid is being charged with murder, mm-hmm. and he doesn't understand that he's not going home. No. He thinks he's going to get home in time for WrestleMania, and he's not. No. I mean, it's kind of, you make fun of him, but it really is sad, it's and it so really sad. plays into the whole di- idea of the first season of Least is it's making a murder. Are they just targeting this family because they're poor and uneducated? Yeah. Or do they actually do something? Yeah. It's, it, obviously, only a few people know the real answer to that. I mean, that's the other thing. Could they be playing stupid or blah, blah, blah? Like, but the evidence is what really got me, because, like, it was, I think now there it was the blood. It was, like, his blood was in the... Um, in the car, season two, without spoiling anything, they basically get some real experts coming in, and they, like, basically, like, they break down the case, but they're, they're going back through with, like, the officials and, like, the, the, uh, basically everybody that was against Stephen Avery, and, like, he didn't really have a good attorney representing him or anything like that, and this expert comes in and, like, picks apart every single thing, and basically, like, puts up like a new case and everything like that and that's why it's so huge like it's just like i think i think that this little town wisconsin they didn't think that they'd get this media attention they thought that they would just brush under the rug but i think that somebody came into town that totally like wasn't from the area and really like just like took advantage of like you know, like, I don't know these people, but we're just going to hide this body. We're just going to go with it and then run. Like, I don't know. How does, that makes sense. How does this, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. How does the second season compare to the first? Do you think it's better? I think it's better in the sense of they actually have, the story is completely different. It's not focusing on Teresa, which I think that they got a, back, a lot of backlash from friends and family of Teresa. Because it's like, why are you, like, beating this? Like, down, like we know, like, she died and everything like that. Like, we don't want to relive it. So, like, this one, they, they really take out a lot of Teresa. They don't really talk about her. And they, they talk about, like, the home life of uh, Stephen, why Stephen didn't do it, and kind of, like, the, and then it's more just, like, they go in straight to the case. They, like, they... Like, literally the first episode, they just, like, reiterate the first season, and then they just go straight into just facts and straight facts. Nothing more than that. Nothing, like, just, like, guessing or anything. Like, they actually have proof. (laughs) So, like, whereas the first season, it was just a lot of, like, oh, here's a story and blah, blah, blah. This is what everybody thinks. And now they're coming back, like, hey, like, screw you. We're going to bring, like, our A game, and we're going to show you that we're, like, legit, and we're going to, like, 
we're gonna figure this out if you can't. So I think that's why it's gonna be better and it's like hyped up, but. Awesome. I don't know. Well, Sorry, I got so into it. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's what we like to do here. Um, so yeah, that's Making a Murderer Part 2. Uh, just premiered on October 19th. Um, so if you've watched the first season and you haven't had a chance to catch the second one, um, definitely something that Sasha is recommending. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so a uh, movie I'm going to talk about was uh, Rampage 2. No, uh, it's uh, Skyscraper, uh, which is a movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It's directed by Ross and Marshall Thurder, who actually is a comedy director, really? uh, known for films like Dodgeball, We're the Millers, and Central Intelligence, also starring The Rock. Uh, this movie has uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Nev Campbell, uh, Chin Han, Roland Miller, Noah Taylor, Pablo Schreiber, um, some other talented actors and actresses. The plot summary from IMDb on this one, a security expert must infiltrate a burning skyscraper. 225 stories above ground when his family are trapped inside by criminals. So uh, this is not a comedy film. <laughs> it's an action film, actually, uh, this director's first foray into the action genre. A couple things I liked about this movie. Uh, I thought it did a really good job creating suspense through special effects. Um, it's obviously a movie that takes place in a fictional 250-story building in Hong Kong. Um, so that's going to lead to some uh, cool effects work. I think the movie does a good job playing up the fear that most everyone has of heights, whether it's you can't handle it at all, or you're deathly terrified, or it just makes you a little bit uncomfortable. I think most everyone, if you're way up high in the sky, yeah. you're probably a little bit anxious. I think this movie does a good job sort of playing up on that idea um, and sort of make setting a tone with the movie for it. Um, it's a more vulnerable Dwayne The Rock Johnson character than we usually seeing. I think usually with him, he's usually this badass guy who's I always know, I got... I can't take him seriously. Yeah. He, <laughs> I'll be honest. He's always got everything under control, yeah. and he's so cool, and he's tough, and he knows what's going on. Maybe. And this one, he's a little bit more vulnerable, and that's exemplified through the fact that he's actually an amputee. Uh, he's missing his right leg. Um, so I give credit to the film for making the main hero and star of the movie an amputee. amputee. Yeah, that's, that's not really something I've seen in a, in a mainstream Hollywood release before. Um, I also like that Nev Campbell, who plays his wife, isn't completely worthless in this movie. She's not like a damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. uh, they give her a background that she has some army training and whatnot. And while Dwayne The Rock Johnson is climbing buildings and running through the the stuff, she's also with the kids and fighting bad guys and being active and making things happen. So they give her character something to do and actually showcase her skills throughout the film. I appreciated that. It's an entertaining movie, but it's it's actually not particularly a very good film. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's a blatant ripoff from movies like Die Hard or Towering uh. Inferno. I think there's some lazy storytelling in this where the movie starts with these TV reporters sort of like explaining the logistics of the building and explaining its strength and weaknesses. And, oh, you know, that's going to come into play, you know, uh, later in the so movie. So it's like just super like cheesy kind of? It is a little bit. It's okay. definitely got this sort of cheesy, campy feel to it. But yeah. I just think it's lazy how they don't really invest into the actual plot for explaining how things work. It's just yeah. like, oh, let's put a bunch of talking heads on TV and explain things that way so it's, it's like suicide squad <laughs> kind of kind of yeah uh it's got generic villains like suicide squad okay um i mean there's this insurance guy that shows up played by noah taylor is anyone surprised that he's teaming up with the bad guys so well, of course the shady insurance guy yeah you know the actual motivation for the bad guys once yeah. we figure out why they're trying to uh mess this state-of-the-art building up is confusing mm -hmm. and underwhelming and i even read the wikipedia plot after it and i still didn't quite understand what what their motivation was so ultimately it's kind of a run-in-the-mill action movie yeah. that being said it is a little bit exciting to watch the effects are cool um you know i like the rock for the most part i think mm -hmm. that he does a pretty good job um but it, it's pretty mediocre movie i ended up giving it a six out of ten but have, have you seen skyscraper have or have you heard not, about it i have heard about it but I, I like i haven't seen it mostly because every time i see the rock is in something i personally am not a huge fan i like i know he's like just a muscle man he's usually the hero in some sort of 
form or whatever. But, like, it didn't shock me that this was kind of, like, poor writing and really cheesy. Because I feel like it's, like, they just kind of, like, probably slapped it together. But, like, it made it exciting as a rock. Like, he's just very entertaining. Well, he's very bankable. I mean, yeah. the studios know that, that rock is a worldwide phenomenon. Everyone yeah. loves the rock. I, I joked in the beginning and said it was Rampage 2. Rampage is the movie <laughs> with the big monkey. The giant, like, King Kong. Yeah. Was it albino or yeah. something like that? Yeah, actually oh. based on the hit video game series. Uh, Sam, the popcorn correspondent, who's part of the uh, one of the founders of this pod. Yeah. I was always talking about trying to get us to go see Rampage. And me, I, me and Evan were like, no thanks, dude. You couldn't pay me. <laughs> I would never see that. But yeah, I mean, just two uh, kind of generic rock movies coming out both in the same year so you know unless you're a fan of the rock you can probably skip Mm -hmm. skyscraper so sasha you mentioned the halloween movie that just came out um maybe something a little bit more interesting than uh you know a former wrestler (laughs) jumping off skyscrapers (laughs) tell me about the new halloween movie yeah so um i'm a huge fan of like the i believe the first one came out like 1978 yeah and so I was a huge fan of Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays, like, Lori, um, who is, like, Michael Myers, like, weird, creepy interest <laughs> throughout the thing. But anyway, so my opinion is if you took out all the crappy sequels in between the first Halloween and then you compared to, like, how the new Halloween that just came out, it would be great. Because I feel like they totally, like, botched his story and, like, literally the new one has nothing to do with, like, the sequels that they made. Um... I don't really want to spoil anything, but, you know, Michael Myers, creepy dude, doesn't talk, doesn't really do much, except walk slowly and kills people, (laughs) and is always on the run for Lori. Um, I actually liked it. Like, I thought I was going to be super, like, interesting it because it's Halloween time or whatever, but I I liked it. I thought it was pretty, they executed Michael Myers so well, and they kind of, did such a good job of not mixing in any any of the previous sequels or anything like that. They, it's just like, it was just eerie and the mystery is still there about Michael. Like, you know, like you don't know anything and that's the scary part. Like what's going on in his head? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't really give motives of why he killed his sister back in, you know, Halloween 40 years ago mm-hmm. and, or however long it was. And so, um, but Jamie Lee Curtis, like low key made me laugh because <laughs> she is the she's just a hermit man and that doesn't really give anything away you see that in the trailers that she's like a hermit and she's just been waiting for 40 years to just kick michael's ass or kill him whatever mm-hmm. and so like the whole movie is just like it's a thriller and you kind of get flashbacks of the 1978 halloween but it's just different people and i won't give away who but and Jamie, who plays Lori, she is kind of crazy. Like, she, she, like, in my opinion, it kind of felt like she was just, like, another Michael. I mean, this isn't really giving anything away, but, like, she kind of, like, goes in and she, like, gets into Michael's mind and she thinks just like Michael, which I thought was really cool. Well, I mean, that's understandable because uh, in one of those crappy sequels that you mentioned, (laughs) uh, Halloween 2, it's revealed that She's his sister. Um, what? So, I didn't even yeah, see that. See? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how many of the sequels you've seen. I haven't I've... seen... I mean, like, I personally was like, I refuse because, like, I like the first one. But, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, no. So, um, I actually have just recently... Uh, yeah, it obviously, yeah. it was just Halloween. So, I actually just recently have been watching a lot of those terrible sequels. I've been <laughs> forcing myself through it. Uh, this movie, directed by David Gordon Green, mm-hmm. is a direct sequel to the original. So, yeah. it, like you said, it just pretends like none of the other eight, ten mm-hmm. sequels ever yeah. happened. Um, most of the sequels are pretty, pretty terrible. I mean, they, they yeah. completely lost focus of what the original filmmakers, John yeah. Carpenter, did so well uh, in the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm glad to see that it maybe is a little bit of a return to form. Yeah. I mean, would you say that they were sort of tributing the original one in some ways? Were yeah, they, were... like, I mean, it like, it's literally all the way down to the music and the graphics and everything. It is like seeing, like, I got like chills because I was like, it's like I'm in this, like, 80s or whatever it's like I'm seeing this in theaters for the first time and I mean it's all the way pretty much just like the first Halloween it's just say kind of replacing the scenes I will say it's like way more gory it's not like like the first Halloween it's a lot more clean like you see everything after the fact but like they show everything like you know so that if you can't stomach it you can't stomach it but I thought I actually made it better um because 
he does some weird crap. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, he, and it's just unexplainable. Like, you just, and that's the, the great thing about it, and that suspense is still there. Just, like, him just, like, slowly walking, and it's like, like, the music. Yeah, the iconic music. Yeah, it's like, I can't even do it. I'm sorry. That's terrible. It was a good effort. It was a good effort. Well, I'm glad to hear that, you know, they're at least trying to make it maybe in this sort of vein in the of the original because with the original John Carpenter movie in 1978 did so well other than you know the iconic music obviously mm-hmm. but it was just such a simple plot like you keep saying yeah. with Michael Myers we don't know his motivations we don't know why he's so insane mm-hmm. he has this weird sort of sexual tension with women that he yeah. wants to kill them but you know and part of the reason the sequels were terrible is because they tried to explain it yeah and we've said many times on this podcast not us obviously but uh-huh. uh, on the show that sometimes less is more the, the unexplained is generally more creepy than when you actually try and explain things. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the other one thing I really liked about the original was the camera work. It, it always felt like someone was following Lori around. You know, there's like shots around corners and That's through trees. That's kind of like this one. And there's steady cam mm-hmm. shots and shots from far away. And it just mm-hmm. did a really good job sort of conveying and creating an atmosphere that someone was like always watching yeah. and lurking in the shadows. And yeah. it sounds like that's maybe what this movie did Yeah, too. and I'm pretty good at like <laughs> guessing the ending of movies. I just kind of like right off the bat, I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. I'm just not going to ruin it for everybody. I just already know. I was like stumped, man. I like had, I thought I had it figured out. And then it's just like, boom, like no freaking way. Not giving anything away. But it, like I really, like because... I mean, it is, it's so simple, but it's just like, okay, like, this is what's going to happen, A, B, and C, like, because, I don't know, I don't want to say anything, it's so hard to talk about, I I but I don't, because it's actually good, I highly recommend going to see it, but I think that was the great thing about it, it was still so simple, the camera shots are all the same, like, I mean, it doesn't really give anything, but Michael's off in the distance, there's people, like, you know, doing things, and, you know, and it's just, like, the music starting, you're like, ah, he's gonna kill somebody, <laughs> like, or how, you know, whatever, or maybe he doesn't kill anybody, and he's just freaking weird, and he's just hiding in the shadows. I'm gonna put you on the spot. What, what would you give it out of 10? <sighs> okay. Because that's what we like to do here on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I should have given you a heads up on that. No, that's fine. <laughs> I would give it an 8 out of 10, oh. and the only reason why is because some things made me laugh because they were so ridiculous. Like, it was just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. that's just, like, it's just cheesy in some scenes, but like overall, like the ending, I was like, wow, like that was, that was good. Like, cool. so yeah. Well, it sounds like it, I've heard other people say that it's the best sequel since the original. Yeah, I So, um, you know, nice to see that, you know, after all these years, you know, like eight, 40 years that we can finally get a Halloween sequel uh, that is at least made in the spirit of the original. Yeah. So that's Halloween. Uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis reprising the role that made her famous. Mm-hmm. Um, so go check that out, according to uh, Sasha here. Uh, the same movie I want to talk about is a movie called Mid-90s. This was just released a couple weeks ago. It is written and directed by Jonah Hill uh, in his directorial de- debut. Yes, yes, that Jonah Hill. The <laughs> Jonah Hill from Superbad. Um <laughs> This is this is an A twenty four film. Uh, you know, I, I, they you'll know m- many many movies like from indie films. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like an indie art house film for okay. sure. Uh, it's a small story. Uh, the, this movie stars uh, Sonny Sulyak as the main character, the thirteen year old uh, Lucas Hedges, who was nominated a couple years ago for Manchester by the Sea, and oh, wow. Catherine Waterston uh, are also in this movie. The plot summary on IMDb. Mid-90s follows Stevie, a 13-year-old in 1990s-era Los Angeles, who spends his summer navigating between his troubled home life and a group of new friends that he meets at a Motor Avenue skate shop. So, you can tell by that plot summary that this is sort of a personal, small story uh, that really goes for a realistic tone that tries to capture the specifics of a specific time period. Um... It's kind of like, um, you know, 8th Grade or Lady Bird or Edge of 17, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen okay. any of those movies. Um, actually, we reviewed 8th Grade in an earlier episode, which was a movie about a, a preteen girl and sort of trying to capture her experiences. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the male experience okay. of, of that. Um, it, it's definitely a companion piece. Both uh, That movie was made by Bo Burnham in his directorial debut. Really? Um, yeah, so it's, it's sort of... Um, new young filmmakers that sort of have the same idea in mind. They want to capture the experiences of a specific age at a specific time uh-huh. and try and create an authentic film that people can really relate to. Yeah. Um, the, the subject matter of this, where the kid's like hanging out in Los Angeles and he's like an, a skater kid hanging out with these sort of like, um, 
let's just say troubled kids. Junkies? <laughs> yeah, they're not really quite junkies. They're not like bad kids, okay. but they're definitely troublemakers. Okay. You know, they're, they're skateboarders that are skating in illegal spots. Okay. And while that wasn't my specific experience growing up in northern Michigan, mm-hmm. um, the things that they go through and sort of the challenges and specifically uh, Stevie goes through is something that I think everyone can relate to regardless of where you grew up. You know, there's things like acceptance and peer pressure and the need for friends and affection and the the need to feel cool, especially when you're a 13 year old and you're sort of like in between things. So I think that those themes and sort of things that we, that they're going through in the movie um, are something that can relate. Everyone can relate to, even if this isn't your specific experience. Yeah. Jonah Hill does a good job really focusing on sort of the small points of validation that mm-hmm. uh, they end up that they end up calling him Sunburn. That's his nickname he gets. Yeah. Um, but like this 13-year-old, he's hanging out with older kids, and when he gets his nickname, he's so happy. Mm-hmm. And they ask him to go get water, and he's like so happy to just to go get water. You know, when he lands his first trick on the skateboard, he's so he just wants to be part of the crew. Yeah. And I think that he really does a good job sort of setting that realistic feeling of this kid just wants to be accepted like he's just so happy to be with people that are actually liking him and hanging out with him because as we see in the movie he never gets any of that from his home life he's got an abusive older brother played by lucas hedges his mom is a young mom that's kind of just off doing her own thing doesn't really give him much attention she has random guys coming over to stay Uh. the night so in a way it's kind of a, a heartbreaking movie but it's a movie that really captures this idea of being a teen and the things that you might go through. Have you have you heard of this movie at all? I actually have not, but I will give some major props to Jonah Hill because he has really broke the glass ceiling in his like acting career and just like who who, who he is creatively. Mm. And like I just think that he is so brilliant and like he's just kind of like been like hiding. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. So I mean, like the fact that you said Jonah Hill directed it, like immediately I was like, I, it's probably a good movie because mm-hmm. he's just the way he gets into character when just like other movies that he's done. Like I, I personally like him in Wolf on Wall Street. Um, I thought he did a great job in that movie. Yeah. But um, he's come a long way from yeah. the from the booze obsessed <laughs> teenager with period blood penis. on his pants. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> penises everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's what I'm saying. And just like and Bo Burnham, what the heck? Like that's crazy. But anyway, yeah, but Bo yeah. Burnham in uh, eighth grade. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, I. Have you heard of this movie though? No, no. I haven't. Okay, I'm well, like surprised. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I love you know it. it it's called mid nineties and it okay. takes place in the mid nineties, you know, which you said, you just said you were born in 1995. Yeah, so uh, maybe, maybe you were a little younger than, you know, this movie because yeah. you've just been five years old, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it does a good job using like the t-shirts that the kids are wearing, mm-hmm. the music that they're listening to, to convey the time period yeah. that it actually is specifically like 1996. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids are using words like gay and retard, mm-hmm. which, uh, obviously now those are words we, we don't use it. in polite no. conversation and rightfully so. Yeah. But unfortunately back in that time it, for kids, it was just commonplace. I mean, yeah. even when I was in high school, kids were saying gay and retard, not thinking anything of it. Yeah. So I like that Jonah Hill is, he's really specific in his, in the way that he's trying to capture this. And mm-hmm. that's just one way he does it. Yeah. Um, the actual skateboarding within the movie is cool. It's mm-hmm. shot really well. It's shot from like angles down below and yeah. above and, um, I've never really been good with anything on boards, <laughs> um, but I have watched the X Games, so yeah, I can. Go. I know what good skateboarding is when I can see it. And there's yeah. some cool stuff in here. Well, it's funny mm. that that he chose skateboarding because, like, I mean, granted, I was like five or six years old, but my um, older brother, he was probably in his like he was like seventeen or maybe a little bit younger, and that's what he would do. I would be like sitting on the front porch, and we lived in like South Bend on the South Side, like in the hood <laughs> and that's all they would do is skateboard and kind yeah. of like I don't know what other things they did but I mean he would have all his friends over and they would build ramps all day and yeah. like skateboard it's, it so, definitely feels like a 90s thing I mean yeah. skateboarding is still a thing obviously but not but, as I mean like not as big at all like yeah. I mean you don't see any 13 year olds skateboarding around right <laughs> see a lot of college kids skateboarding to class yeah, but yeah. like you know it's now, just skateboards are out man longboards yeah. are cool oh longboards <laughs> do you have you seen those electric ones that just like you're like floating everywhere yeah I have yeah. 
time, actually. Oh, gosh. Um, so, Sorry, yeah. so off topic. No, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it was smart, though, to pick skateboarding yeah. because it allowed a lot of things creatively with the story because it was just like, his mom doesn't care what he's doing. Mm-hmm. She's not paying attention. So he'll just go off and skateboard with these older kids and he gets into all sorts of different mischief and whatnot. Yeah. Um, the movie doesn't glamorize what the kid's doing or even the kids they're hanging out with. You know, yeah. there's underage drinking, they're doing drugs, they're hooking up with girls, they're... Mm-hmm breaking into private property so it's really like oh these are innocent troublemakers getting into bad stuff Mm -hmm. but it also does a good job and i think this is one of its strongest points is that even though the main character is a 13 year old the movie does a good job not just smoking focusing on his specific challenges but also on the challenges of the high schoolers and his brother who is sort of like a college age kid Mm -hmm. you know it shows that even though uh you grow up the challenges don't go away. They just kind of change. Mm-hmm. You know, the high school kids he's hanging out with have their own set of challenges and they're dealing with changing relationships and different dynamics. So the movie takes time to focus in on those. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it's it's a really good movie. The performances are really good. It's It feels like a really personal movie. Mm-hmm. It's a really promising debut for Jonah Hill and I'm kind of excited to see what else he, he comes up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up giving it an 8 out of 10 and uh, right now it's my number 10 film of the year so I would really? definitely cool. recommend see it. I would definitely recommend watching mid 90s. Okay. All right. I'll see it. All right, we're going to move on to our featured review here today on November 7th, 2018. It is First Man. This movie is directed by the incredibly talented Damien Chazelle, who of course is known for uh, his previous films Whiplash and La La Land, both of which have been critically acclaimed. This movie is based on the book First Man, The Life of Neil A. Armstrong by James R. Hansen. The film stars Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong alongside Claire Foy, Jason Clark, Kyle Chandler, Corey Stoll, Syrian Hines, Christopher Abbott, Patrick Fugit, and Lucas Haas. Uh, The plot summary from IMDb, a look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong in the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. Uh, So this is a movie, obviously, that uh, draws inspiration from one of the biggest events in U.S. history, uh, one that I've been pretty excited to see for a while, particularly because uh, of the direction of Damien Chazelle, who has proven himself to be very talented. Uh, Sasha, what, what, what's the first thing that you need to talk about when this uh, when you, this movie comes up? It wasn't anything that I was expecting. It's not your typical man landing on the moon movie, Hollywood movie at all. Like you are seeing a whole. You're just you're diving into Neil Armstrong and who he is psychologically during the time he is training to be an astronaut to be the first person on the moon. So like I I just think it was so uh, I don't even know. Well, there, there's a <laughs> there's a clear effort made yeah. to humanize Neil Armstrong. Yeah. You know, and to make him a, a relatable human character, mm-hmm. um, because which is important because I think you know Neil Armstrong. He's the first man to walk on the moon. He's the yeah. one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind guy. You know, over the years since 1969, yeah. he's taken this almost like mythic status. Mm-hmm. I feel like in American history. So I think it's important that the movie makes efforts to show, hey, this is just a guy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's the number one thing why it's probably one of my favorite movies right now, uh, at least for 2018, because they really get to show, you get to see his home life, at least how they portray it. or what. And Ryan Gosling just did such an awesome job. Like, he didn't overdo it. He really, I mean, it doesn't really take anything away from it. I mean, are we doing spoilers? Is this happening? <laughs> yeah, no, I should say, um, you know, this is a real event, obviously, yeah. that happened uh, in 1969. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be a, a, a spoiler, non-spoiler. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the movie and you don't, and you want to go in fresh, maybe just click out, come back later. Yeah. Um, so, because we're probably going to go into spoilers and, mm-hmm. and everything uh, starting, like, right now. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but I think what made me emotionally get attached to Ryan Gosling playing Neil was the first thing that you learn about him, which is something I didn't even know about. And being like a millennial, I didn't know about Neil Armstrong is that he lost his serial daughter, Karen, um, to a brain tumor. Yeah. And cancer. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they immediately start off with that. Second scene of the movie. Yep. So they, so I think they set you up for getting, you know, you're, you're getting the psychological, like, you're, it's just tunnel vision of like Neil and like what he is feeling and what he's going through. He lost so much during that time and like and 
what I also love is that you're not getting the the hype of like of all these monumental things that are going on. Like you're seeing like the negative all the negatives mm-hmm. of that entire experience. The 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 riots and the the people being against them going the, the, all the deaths and then the biggest things are I'm like all over the place. But when he landed on the moon when they finally did it um you didn't get that the clip that you always get in the, when these movies like these the man landed on the moon everybody cheering in like the control center like oh they did it they made it none of that it was complete melancholy eerie neil alone on the moon and what he was feeling and like and the thing is he didn't even talk he yeah. was just flashbacks and it was like you you know that like he's like i'm so freaking sad right now i've lost so much just to get right here yeah, and it's, it's it's just so brilliant. I love it. He makes it. Chazelle does a great job making it a really personal story. Yeah. You know, it's this huge event that obviously had worldwide ramifications. But the first thing he thinks about is his daughter, and when he lands on the moon, it's sort of mm-hmm. like he did it. He did mm-hmm. it for all the astronauts that died. Yep. He did it for his daughter. He did it for everyone. And you know, I thought that was really remarkable. You know, they throughout the whole movie, it's super consistent in developing his character and showing us that he's a family man first. Mm -hmm. He's reluctant to the spotlight. You know, he's, he's short with the media. Mm -hmm. He dislikes the sort of hyperbole around the mission. Um, You know, he's uncomfortable in the spotlight. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really important to establish because like I said, Neil Armstrong is, is thought of as this hero. Mm-hmm. So I think that the movie did a really good job developing his character. They show throughout the film that he has a hard time dealing with death, mm-hmm. first through his daughter's death and then through the friends and comrades he lost in uh, the Apollo 1 fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Chaffee actually is from Grand Rapids here, which is really? kind of an uh, interesting little nugget. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that death, he's motivated to an almost obsessive level. Uh, to the point where he neglects his wife and kids, his surviving kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's because Chazelle's trying to show that he doesn't want the loss of life to be for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he he um, directly relates landing on the moon to the memories of his daughter and his family. He directly relates it to, um, you know, everything that he's gone through in life. Even though yeah. those two things aren't directly correlated, it's definitely how it's portrayed in the movie, and that's what you're talking about in the moon yeah. landing. Yeah, no, and I think another thing is just, like, the simplicity of it and how, like you said, like, everything, it's just, like, it's building up to that big moment, the climax of him landing on the moon, but, like, it's, like, so we start with his daughter, and then he he builds relationships within NASA with, like, the other astronauts, and then, like, they get plucked off one by one, and you're like, oh, my God, like, how much is this man going to endure? I had no idea. I mean, I knew of these events, but I didn't know how new, I mean, I mean, I think Ryan did a great job of, you know, captivating of how he probably felt in that moment. But it made me have a whole new new light on, like, who Neil Armstrong was. Right. It, it's all portrayed brilliantly by Ryan Gosling. Oh, I mean, my gosh. Like you said, he's very subdued and sort of restrained throughout the movie. Yeah, like, he's just so uptight. And yeah. it's just, like, it's so, yeah. ah, it's so like, good. Like, like Chazelle's other characters, Ryan Gosling in La, La La Land or even Miles Teller in Whiplash, mm-hmm. He's an overly ambitious character, mm-hmm. you know, whose whose biggest strength is also his biggest weakness, mm-hmm. his ambition. Yeah. In Whiplash, Miles Teller is obsessed with becoming the best drummer. Mm-hmm. In La La Land, Ryan Gosling is obsessed with, you know, starting his his jazz, jazz club, club. And, and being a, a great pianist. And Neil Armstrong is obviously obsessed with getting to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's a consistency in his characters mm-hmm. um, in showing how am- the good and bad of ambition. Mm-hmm. And something I like to pick apart in movies is the music. And I, I talked to you about this a little bit before the podcast. But, like, I think music and sound mixing is extremely important in telling a story. Because I, you don't need, um, like, dialogue to feel something. If you have music and just, like, you're just watching something, you know, like, it really captured the, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the whole final scene when they're landing on the moon is done with very little dialogue. Yeah. And, like, I liked how, like, in... When he first, uh, what was it, uh, it was a Gemini, like, eight, when he went out first, um, for the first time, and, like, I was nauseous, because, I mean, they made sure to, you know, zoom in on all the nuts and bolts, the sounds and everything, like, I felt like I was inside that spacecraft, because it wasn't, like, 
your typical like you know banging or anything like that like I mean it was like noises I have never heard before something like weird like it just it was such an eerie uncomfortable feeling and just like seeing how they like rocked him back and forth and just kind of really like made you feel like okay this is like what he went through and just like the pressure yeah. and like I mean I've seen Interstellar I thought that was like <laughs> like this was like whoa like yeah Chazelle in the in the cinematography um by Linus Sandgren um it's incredible they do a great job yeah. using scope and a literal space to mm -hmm. help add to the atmosphere mm -hmm. and sort of put you in the astronaut's shoes you mm -hmm. know the the first person point of view shots inside the capsules where you're in on it you know where mm -hmm. you're looking up at the thing it helps yeah. add to the terror and the sheer craziness of it all mm -hmm. it makes you feel cholesterophobic mm -hmm. along with the astronauts there's lots of shots directly of his eyes yeah. either him looking up as they're ready to launch or when they're out in space and he's sort of just looking out they're just mm -hmm. he'll just focus in on his eyes um and then there's also great wide angle shots mm -hmm. you know of, of space looking down on earth um, especially during the lunar landing, it helps show you how alone they really are out in space. It really helps add to the spectacle of the uh, landing. So the way the movie's shot, both using super close-ups mm -hmm. and super wide-angle shots, mm -hmm. sort of work in tandem to sort of represent different points of the mission. Yeah. And also, yeah, the attention to detail is amazing. Uh, I mean, like, and also I don't know if you caught this, but when they they successfully made it out into space um, and they were kind of just floating and they were trying to get to the mothership. They played like ballet music because yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was so graceful. It was like, it was something so beautiful and it was just like, they were just kind of floating and they were like making their way to the mothership and it sounded like I was at a ballet recital. Yeah, I was, I was getting like uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes. Yeah, uh, The Stanley yeah. Kubrick movie. Yes, it yeah. really felt sort of almost like a soap opera, a space opera. Yeah. Like it was a dance out in space. Literally, that's how on. I felt, yeah. yeah. I totally got that too. And then, but yeah, and then like every time he'd like look up at the sky or like they were like on a mission to like go out or whatever, they played like a creepy like sci-fi like okay i'm not even gonna try to attempt the sound but it was just imagine like a sci-fi like weird like alien kind of music like just the music, interstellar type of, the music was all over the place yeah. honestly depending on what part of the movie you were watching yeah but it, it was, just it flowed perfectly yeah like, so like. so personally i've always had an obsession with space like i think my first dream job when i was a little kid was to be an astronaut mm -hmm. of course but then i realized i was afraid of rolling coasters and I was like oh, I don't think I'm gonna cut as an astronaut but I'll be Houston <laughs> I could be one of those guys you know in yeah. the uh, in the control, in the room. control room and then I realized I hate math and science so that dream was dead too but yeah. I've always found the topic of space uh, fascinating mm -hmm. uh, that being said we've had a lot of space movies you mentioned interstellar we had the Martian arrival, arrival. life gravity um, I mean, these are all kind of different space movies that attack it from a different way. But I wonder, do you think we have too many space movies now, or are you okay with this? I I think we have a lot. And I think Hollywood kind of gives you that creepy, like, the end of the world and we're moving on to a different planet type of feel. Like, uh, like our planet's going to be inhabitable in, like, the next 100 years, and, like, we got to move on. But, yeah, I, I feel like we... Hollywood's really taking advantage of like the conspiracy theorists and like their ideas and everything like that. But I I like them too. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to stuff like that. Like I'm like, ooh, black holes and like like recently like the the uh, asteroid that entered our atmosphere everybody thinks has a spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> um like yeah. a, a organism moving or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Well, the, but, there's a lot of unexplored territory, and they, yeah. uh, we're always going to be making space movies through film. And this, like you said, and I think it was the first thing you said, this isn't your typical m m moon landing movie. No. This is a straight biopic. Yeah. They're really trying to stick close to what actually happened, mm -hmm. like down to the T. Mm -hmm. and, and you can see that in the... Um, the moon landing sequence, which yeah. is a remarkable achievement, I think. Uh, I mean, the way that it's shot, um, you know, obviously I wasn't alive in 1969 to watch the original, uh, but the way they shot this movie feels like it could have been the original landing. It's yeah. just so detailed and historically accurate mm -hmm. in the way they're trying to do it. They're not trying to make a huge blockbuster here. They're mm -hmm. trying to show you 
what actually happened. And that, I think, makes it different from a lot of space movies. And I think, you know, we're really, like, focusing on Neil, but also Claire Foy playing his wife, or, Mm -hmm. I mean, they are married during the... But just kind of like, because, you know, like, military wives or anything like that, like, you know, they all, like, moved into these homes, and they all lived together, and they all build up this bond. But, like, the wives' perspective, like, you know, they she sees loss. They spend a lot of time on her. Yeah, and, like, kind of just because she starts off happy, you know, not happy, obviously, they lost her daughter, but, like, she's going through, like, okay, this is a fresh start, we're going to start over, blah, blah, and she builds these relationships, and then they slowly start to deteriorate, and, like, she is the rock in their family, and she's trying to keep it together, and right before Neil, like, was, like, going to be, like, silent mode and peace out, I'm going to the moon, He, she's like, no, dude, you're going to stay right here, and you're going to tell your boys why you're not coming back, yeah. and I think that was such a powerful scene or monologue of hers, because, like, you get to feel like what it was like as her the wife's perspective and yeah. Neil's wife's perspective because they don't show a lot of affection no. at all like ever since they it's lost. a very business business like yeah. relationship <laughs> yeah like they signed a contract they're like all right here we go like we're doing this and she even talks about like how wanting a simple life when yeah. she met him and yeah. then like that's obviously not what she got at all when she's listening to the the box that's the oh only way nasa lets gosh. her know what's going on yeah. is to listen to the box and i also liked when she like barged in there and she's like you're just a bunch of boys you have no idea what you're doing and that was something <laughs> playing with your action figures yeah like and that was one of the things i told my friends immediately after because they're like oh it's just another space movie I'm like no it's not at all like you really get to you you get the home life you get the life and experience of an astronaut and it what great astronaut do you pick Neil Armstrong like you know like you really get to pick apart his life and 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 that's definitely uh, a credit to Chazelle and the script I mean they they really attention to detail is the the number one way where I can describe this movie that being said there are a couple things I have a couple gripes with the movie it's not a perfect movie in my opinion um, it's pretty long. It's, uh, let's see, this movie two is hours two, hour, yeah, two hours and 22 <laughs> minutes long. Um, and I do think it drags at some points. Uh, as I've said before, it's very mm-hmm. detail oriented. It's a very thorough movie that spans mm-hmm. several years. And Chazelle and the writers are clearly interested in telling a complete and detailed story of the lunar project and how we actually got to the moon. Mm-hmm. Not just that we were at the moon, but how we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they're going for such a realistic, true to science, if you will, portrayal, mm-hmm. Uh, the film is naturally going to be a little bit longer, and I think it does drag a little bit. Yeah. Um, at times, I think it gets a little hard to follow if you're not familiar with what led up to the lunar landing with all the Gemini and mm-hmm. the, you know, the the stuff they're doing. Like, how does this all fit together? Mm-hmm. It, it might be a little bit overwhelming, so it might be good to have sort of like a basic understanding agree, of yeah. the timeline. Um, although I, I will say the movie does a pretty good job trying to paint a picture of what actually happened. It's mm-hmm. it's a really educational and interesting movie, but it can be a little overwhelming. I yeah. Think. Like when he goes to Washington, like, I mean, yeah. like I, that was kind of like a tidbit that like, just like he was there and he didn't like, he gets like one interaction with somebody at Washington when he's like representing NASA. But that was like something that I kind of like, Took away. I don't even know. I'm off topic. No, but. you're good. You're good. <laughs> but yeah. Is there anything else that you kind of didn't love? Or I no, I totally agree. There were some parts where, like, where he was like studying or like he was playing with his kids or stuff like that. Like, I mean, I think those were all like important scenes, but it was just kind of like, I guess when he was training and when he was going through all that, it was just kind of silent, and you're just like viewing, like, you know, like following him like a shadow kind of and it's like okay like but for like moviegoers like us like it's like okay like i get it but like for people that aren't moviegoers they're like okay this is yeah i mean it doesn't it's not really a detriment to the movie to me but whenever anytime a movie gets over two hours i always ask the question why is it over two Mm -hmm. hours did we need all this did we need all this in here I don't know if I can necessarily say we didn't need it, because like I said, they're really trying to paint a picture of mm-hmm. what happened in 1969 and all the years leading up to it. Yeah. But it was just, you know, a minor yeah. gripe that I think might rub some people the wrong way. Yeah, no. You know, they clearly have a goal to tell this massive world-altering event through the lens of one man. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge. You mentioned, you know, the sort of shots of the protests and the media coverage mm-hmm. and they're almost more like vignettes, you know, mm-hmm. than, than actual parts that actually fit into the story. It's almost yeah. like we cut away from the story for a little bit and then we go to, okay, let's show a montage of people being pissed or yeah, let's show a yeah. montage of TV clips. And I get why they're trying to do that. They're trying to paint the whole picture mm-hmm. when it's a really personal story. It's hard to sort of do that sometimes, yeah. so I get why they're trying to work that in. Mm-hmm. But some of that felt a little bit out of place. To yeah, me I could have lived without it. Honestly, I agree. I, I mean, like, I, yeah, it, it was 
like I said, uh, you get a lot of negatives in this movie. It's not, it's, it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just hard to, it's a hard topic to tackle and do justice mm-hmm. to without sort of bringing everything or, or leaving something out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I uh, also, uh, skipping to the end of the movie, when he's, because I, I looked up afterwards, because I think Neil spent 11 minutes alone, like, walking around on the moon, and they all kind of took memorabilia with them uh, to leave there, and Neil was pretty protective of what he took, and nobody really knows, but the scene of him dropping his daughter's bracelet, Karen's bracelet, into, like, a crater, mm-hmm. um, I like, I didn't cry. I mean, I got not my throat because it was just like, ah, like that's. It was a great way to wrap the whole movie. Yeah. Because the movie started with her and it ended with her. Yeah, no, I thought that was pretty amazing. And then like when he came back, because he had to be quarantined, uh, it was the first time I saw affection between him and his wife. Like Ryan and Claire kind of like, you know, like they touch hands on, you know, like there's affection there. Mm -hmm. Even though they can't be together, but like. I felt like it was, like, closure for him. You know, like, he finally accomplished it. He can put everything to rest now Mm -hmm. and move on with his life. Cool. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I don't know. I mean, I agreed with everything that you said. I would say I'd give it, like, a 9 out of 10. (laughs) Just because I liked how they explained it. And there's a lot of things I didn't know. So Okay, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to give nines. I'm really, I don't give tens. You should know that about me. Yeah, I don't I'm a film stuff. I can't be, I've actually only given, I'll just tell you, I've only given one film a ten of all time. Really? And that's A Trip to the Moon from 1902. Really? By George uh, Melier, because that's widely considered the first film ever. Yeah. Uh, that actually had a story. So I'm like, well, it started all, I'll give it a ten. So, you know, I'm, it's just a thing I do. I don't think there's a such thing as a perfect movie. So no, yeah. nine is basically my ten. I gave this an eight as well. Okay. Uh, like I said, I, I think it's wonderfully acted. Uh, mm-hmm. by both Claire Foy and Ryan Gosling, and also some wonderful supporting characters. Mm-hmm. Attention to detail really educates you on what was going on. So particularly for people like us who weren't around, it's it's great to sort of yeah. get a, a glimpse into what it might have been like. Mm-hmm. Damien Chazelle continues to be one of the, the rising stars yes. in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really excited to see what else he comes up with. Um, so yeah, both of us would definitely recommend going to see first man uh so that's all we have for you today on the second day film podcast um one more time before uh, we sign off i want to remind you that you can like us on facebook soundcloud itunes twitter just search the second day film Club podcast give us a rating a like um you know a review whatever we just want to interact again if you want to come on the second day film podcast reach out to me um i'm always down to have guests and and sasha you did it you're the first, the first uh, official guest how, how was it it was awesome i loved it yeah. i love talking about movies i'm a dork yeah well so am i we like dorks here in the second day film club uh i'd be remiss if i didn't tell you that we're gonna need your application uh for the second day film club or my uh my fellow uh guys will give me crap that's uh you're you're uh, top five favorite movies of all time and your top five favorite actors or actresses. That's all we need from you there. But oh, uh, nice. we, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, though. Uh, this yeah. always works better when there's someone to talk to of rather than, than me. So we'll definitely have you on again sometime if Yay. you're interested. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Awesome. Well, again, that's all we have for today. Uh, appreciate you listening, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>